Well, welcome, you guys, this morning. Uh, for those of you all who don't know me, my name is Trey Corey. I'm our Southwood College pastor. And if you're visiting or new to Southwood or to Grace this morning, I'd like to just extend you a special Thanksgiving and welcome. We are so excited that you guys are here if you're visiting for the first time. If you guys have been here for a long time, we are thrilled that you guys are back. Either way, I cannot tell you, for those of us that are in this church and for those of us that live in this town, how excited we are every time this year when you guys finally get back in town. Texas Avenue fills up quite a bit. Restaurants all of a sudden have a long waiting line. But for us, it's hugely worth it because our heart as a church and our heart as a staff is for you guys. We absolutely love the privilege and the opportunity to serve you guys and to walk with you guys. And so uh, we're excited that you guys are here. Uh, as excited as we are that you guys are here and as excited as you guys are to be back, there's a cold, harsh, brutal reality that's about to hit you guys in 24 hours. You guys know what it is, and it's probably pretty cruel of me to start out this way and this way this morning, but the reality is in about 24 to 48 hours, each one of you guys is going to be staring at a syllabi, a syllabus. You guys are going to be back in classrooms. You guys are going to be back listening to lectures. Some of you guys that are freshmen are going to be wandering around on the campus of Texas A&M or the campus of Blinn with a map wondering, where in the world am I going? Uh, hopefully, some people will help you out, but we are excited that you guys are here. But the reality for you guys is you guys are about to be overwhelmed again. You guys have had a summer where you guys have been free. You've been off on your own. Some of you guys have been at camp. Some of you guys have been at jobs. Some of y'all have been doing nothing, sleeping in until 10 every morning, and it has been beautiful, and it has been brisk. But the reality is your life is about to change in a huge way. Um, in many regards, I'd submit to you guys this morning that there's a group of people that is going to have the largest impact on your semester. And that group of people is not our staff here at Grace Bible. It's not even your roommates it's not even your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's not even your family, but it's a group of men and women that for whatever research and reconnaissance you might have done on myedu.com or whatever conversations you might have had with fellow students, you guys are about to be into and immersed into the lives of a set of professors that are going to have every bit of control on your semester. And this group of men and women, for the most part, are going to get to decide whether your semester goes easy or hard. You guys are going to look at a set of uh, syllabi this week that are going to overwhelm you, and you're going to think, how in the world am I going to get all this done, and how in the world am I going to have a social life? For some of y'all are going to be wondering, is this professor going to absolutely ruin my 4.0? Or maybe for more of you guys, it's your perfect 2.5 that you don't want to ruin. I don't know where you are. You know who you are, though, right? Um, in many regards, you guys have done a lot of reconnaissance and a lot of research. You guys have heard a lot of stories about the professors you guys are about to have. And every time about this time of year, I always think back from me to my senior year in high school. Uh, years leading up to my senior year in high school, I had heard stories about a professor that I was going to have in my senior year for world history whose name was Professor Donahue. All right? uh, this professor wore combat boots to school. Uh, he had a shaved haircut. He was reserved military, and his hair and his dictator-like personality made him everything a bit of Adolf Hitler, as you can imagine, all right? He was just a tyrant that ran class, all right? And as we would come up to our senior year, every year we would hear stories about the kinds of things he would do in class. And he would always get just enough details to begin to, begin to paint a picture of what this guy was going to do. But for the most part, those stories also lacked a lot of detail, and so speculation ran rampant. In many regards, the seniors who had him protected the mysteries and the secrets of what he did in class. Ultimately, though, for what we had heard was essentially if, as he spoke and as he taught, the one thing that you weren't allowed to do was to speak when he was speaking or to sleep in his class. And we heard if that, came, if that ever happened, destruction would come swiftly and promptly. And so my fall semester, we all came in. I was at an all-guy private uh, Catholic high school. And so uh, in those kinds of classrooms and in that kind of high school, we cut up all the time in class. But in this dude's class, no one said a word. Everyone showed up on time, and everyone had a book and a notebook open to take notes. 
But eventually, by a month into class, someone eventually would fall asleep. We'd all been waiting for this day to see what was going to happen. And he, this guy, poor chap, uh, I guess had a long weekend, and he began the classic head bob. You know what I'm talking about? The one to get whiplash as you're kind of falling asleep. Uh, but somehow you can kind of somehow get through that. And eventually what you typically do is you move to the head on the hand with the elbow supporting it, you know. Um, the kid did that, and then eventually his head began to slide down his arm until eventually that arm is flat on the desk, and his head was collapsed into a puddle on his desk, and he was out. And so what would have been nice for us fellow students was to nudge him to wake him up right, but we all kind of wanted to see what was going to happen, and so we waited it out. And eventually our professor, realizing that someone had fallen asleep looking at our class, all of a sudden he stopped mid-lecture and went silent. For an absolute minute, we sat there in silence, none of us knowing what in the world was about to happen. And eventually, as he stopped lecturing, he eventually began to approach the student when he was completely confident that this student was asleep. And as he approached the student, he began to pull out a red felt-tip marker from his pocket. (laughs) None of us had any idea of what he was about to do, and so we continued to watch on with great interest. He approached the student, pulled out the, the cap off the top, and then he began to draw a line right along the kid's neck. So, as you might suspect, the dude began to wake up, and instincts took over, and feeling pressure, he touched his neck, and then as he opened his eyes, he looked at his hands, and there was red felt-tip ink all over his hands. But, of course, he didn't know what it was, because he didn't know what just happened, so as he looked up down the aisle back at our professor, at this point, the professor had put the red felt-tip marker in his pocket and had pulled out a switchblade, all right? (laughs) Now... I'm not going to give you guys my, my year of graduation, but let me just say, in an all-guys school, even to this day, in your generation, there would, probably would have been a lawsuit, all right? Uh, but in my generation, anything flew, and that was amazing, all right? Uh, the look on that dude's face, as quickly as it changed from uh, completely sleeping to absolutely awake and startled and not knowing what in the world was going on, was priceless. You see, for this student, though, he had made a major miscalculation, He had chosen and he had failed to listen, and the result of it was absolutely drastic and catastrophic. He had chosen to not listen to him who was speaking. And what we're going to look at this morning as we open the book of Hebrews, if you guys have your Bible, turn to the book of Hebrews. We're going to look this morning at chapter 1, verses 1 to 4 is where we're going to start out what will be a year-long series to the book of Hebrews. All right, Hebrews has 13 chapters, and we're going to be in this book all fall, all spring, And I'll tell you, I'm really excited about the book of Hebrews. It is an incredibly rich book that exalts Jesus Christ, but it's also really challenging interpretively, and so I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it. We're going to major, though, this morning in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, that kind of set up the theme of the book at large. Uh, But what you're going to see this morning as the writer of Hebrews uh, begins is simply this main point. He's going to say this, that God has spoken through His Son, Jesus Christ, to you and I. And as we look through the rest of the book, as we walk this semester, this year out in this book, what we're going to find is that for those who fail to listen to Jesus Christ, the results are going to be even more catastrophic than simply red felt marker ink on your hands. That for those of us that will hear and then fail to to listen or choose to walk past Jesus Christ, the results will be catastrophic. And so what I want to challenge us this morning as we begin is simply one basic question. It's where I'm going to begin with you guys. It's where I'm going to end with you guys. And the question is this. Will you choose to listen to Jesus Christ this morning, this week, this month, this semester? If God has spoken through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the question I have for you this morning is, will you listen? You guys are going to make a choice, even this very first week with your own professors, as to whether you're going to listen to them or not. Some of you guys will make a decision the very first week that you're not going to attend class, but you're going to spend the majority of your semester at A-plus tutoring and all crazy hours of the night because you think that they'll do a better job than what your professor will do. 
You guys are going to make a decision based on what your professor has to say, based on who he is, and based on what he can do as to whether you will listen to him. This morning, as we look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, the writer of Hebrews will tell us what Jesus Christ has to say, and he's going to tell us who Jesus Christ is. Because on the basis of who he is, we have all the more motivation to listen, despite the consequences if we fail not to. So look with me, if you will, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Follow along with me as I read. The writer of Hebrew tells us, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of God the Father's glory and the exact representation of the Father's nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. What we're going to see this morning as we begin Hebrews chapter 1 is that when God has spoken, he's spoken throughout the generations in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, but when he speaks through his son, Jesus Christ, he's speaking in a new way and in a way in particular that is superior to all that has preceded before. And for the writer of Hebrews, he writes to an audience that primarily has a Jewish background. And so what he's going to do for his audience as he begins in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, is he's going to take them to a more familiar place that they would have understood the way in which God spoke. And then he's going to move them to Jesus Christ that was going to be new and novel for them. So he takes them to a place that was familiar to them. Specifically, what he's going to do is he's going to speak of the way that God spoke in the Old Testament. What he's going to try to establish is Jesus' rhetoric, Jesus' speeching. But what he's going to do in order to explain that, he's going to take them to the Old Testament, which would have been more familiar to those that had a really strong Jewish background. So notice what he says. He starts with a place that was more familiar. He says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways. He starts off to a place that was more familiar, and he says this. God spoke to the nation of Israel. He spoke to their leadership, and he spoke in many different portions and in many different ways. That for the nation of Israel, as I look back, uh, what began with Adam and Eve and Abraham and Moses and David, and for a nation that would later split historically, it, it showed a pattern in which God spoke. God spoke to that nation, but he spoke in segments. In a sense, he spoke in bite-sized pieces, as if it was a seven-course meal. Each generation got, in a sense, another course. God was speaking slowly but surely, revealing more and more and more of his self, his character, and his plan to the nation of Israel. So in many regards, what Abraham understood of what God had told them was shallow and limited compared to what Moses would later understand. Because as we move through the course of the Old Testament, God is speaking more and more and more. And that which he's revealing is getting fuller and fuller and fuller. But it's not just that he's speaking progressively in little bite-sized segments, but he also says, according to verse 1, that God spoke in the Old Testament in a whole bunch of different ways. If you know your Old Testament and you know stories from Sunday school or stories growing up, we see that God spoke in the Old Testament in all sorts of kinds of ways. Sometimes he showed himself in dreams. Sometimes he showed himself in visions. Sometimes he showed himself through a burning bush like he did to Moses. Sometimes he showed himself through nature, through lightning, through fire, through smoke. He used all kinds of sorts of elements to communicate himself, his plan, and his purposes to his people. But what we're going to do is we get to Jesus, we're going to see there's a dramatic shift and a dramatic change in the way that he's speaking and the way that he spoke. In the Old Testament, God spoke in a diversity of ways and a diversity of times. He spoke bite-sized bit by bite-sized bit. And he did it in all different kinds of ways. In many regards, the Old Testament and the way that God spoke is a lot like chilies if you walked in there. 
Chili's has a menu that has a diversity that just blows you away, all right? If you're feeling Mexican, you can get Mexican. If you're feeling Italian, you can get Italian. I absolutely love chilies, all right? Some of you guys might already be getting a little hungry this morning. If so, I apologize, all right? But not only with chilies, not only do you have a great diversity of options on the menu, but you also have great diversity of courses. You could start off with their delicious chips and queso. You could start off then with a salad. You could move to an entree, and then you could eventually land on one of their delicious, amazing desserts. You guys will find quickly I'm quite the dessert guy, all right? But what blows me away is not just the success that Chili's has across the nation. I think when people have that kind of diversity as a restaurant, success isn't that stunning if what you do is well. But what really blows me away is the kind of supremacy that comes in singularity. The kind of supremacy that comes in singularity by a restaurant, for example, like Lane's, all right? I don't know if you guys have been back for a week. I don't know how many of y'all have already hit Lane's up. But what restaurant in town or in the state of Texas can serve one thing? One thing, and you can get it two ways, take out or eat there, right? But one thing, all right? And they can dominate and be incredibly successful, all right? What blows me away is a place they can serve one thing, have absolutely no diversity, but that option be so supreme and superior to other options that they can survive and be successful with multiple locations in this town, all right? Uh, that amazes me more than Chili's. And what I want to say as we transition in many regards, and this may seem heretical to some of y'all, but I think Lane's is a little bit of a picture for Jesus Christ, all right? Uh, not a fatty uh, chicken finger restaurant, all right? Um, but what I want you guys to see is that what God is going to do in the Old Testament is he's going to speak in all different portions, and then he's going to speak in all different kinds of ways. Old Testament is chilies, all right? Jesus is Lane's, all right? God speaks through Jesus Christ in one way and at one time, all right? If you guys have never been to Southwood, I kind of have my own kind of style, all right? Um, I, I think in many regards, as God speaks through Jesus, here's what he's doing. He's not going to speak in a whole bunch of elaborate different ways because he doesn't have to. Because when he speaks in Jesus, the manner in, in, in whom he's speaking is so much superior to the prophets that preceded him in the Old Testament and is so much superior to the natural elements that he doesn't need to use a bunch of mirror and smoke. He doesn't have to do a bunch of different mechanisms or means because when he speaks through Jesus, it's so perfect and it's so clear. In many regards, what, what, what the writer of Hebrews will do next is he's going to show us not just Jesus' rhetoric, but he's going to show us Jesus' resume. And in fact, we're going to find that when Jesus speaks because of his resume, he is a, the greatest uh, revelation means that you and I can find. If you want to know God or if you want to have knowledge of God, his character, his purposes, and his plans, the greatest spot we start and the greatest spot we end is Jesus Christ. In fact, as we're going to see in verses 2 and 3, in a sense, we're going to get a picture of his resume. That Jesus' resume, in a sense, is stacked. He's unlike any other that has preceded, and he's unlike any other that will come later. That when God speaks through Jesus, he's speaking in a way that's superior to all other ways that have come before and all the other ways that will come later. Look with me again in verse 2. In these last days, he's spoken to us in his Son. The writer of Hebrews will say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. As we walk through your New Testament, as we walk through your scriptures, we often find uh, all this kind of terminology of God the Father, God the Son, that Jesus Christ is the Son, that God is the Father, and yet Jesus and God the Father are the same, and yet one is the Father, one is the Son. What's all the business with the Father-Son stuff, right? I don't know if you guys have ever wondered, what is, what's the point of that terminology? What, is, what are the writers of Hebrews or the writer of the New Testament trying to tell you and I? I think ultimately what they're trying to tell you and I is that what it means to be a son is that one shares the same nature as the father. If you've ever encountered a Jehovah's Witness or they've ever come to your door and they may come to your door this semester, Jehovah's Witnesses believe this, that God is the son because there was a time that he did not exist. 
in a sense, because he is the begotten son, which is terminology we get from the gospel of John, because he is the firstborn son, therefore there was a time that he did not exist. Ultimately, they're using the same language, but that's not the meaning of those terms. What it means to be a son, what it means to be a son of the father, means that you share the same nature with the father. Let me illustrate in a sense. This uh, is my wife, Marcy, and this is our little baby girl, Caroline, all right? Uh, Caroline uh, is about nine months, all right? There's two purposes for which I show you this photo. One, to show you guys all I married way out of my league, all right? All right? <laughs> Amen. Uh, second of all is, as you guys look at our picture of our little girl, what do you notice? Uh, the picture might be hard depending on where you're sitting, but she has my eyes, but that's all she has, all right? And praise the Lord for that, because my wife looks great, and so she mimics and looks just like my wife. And what it means to be a son, what it means to be a daughter, is that you share representation and you share, share the same nature with the parent. In many regards, when Marcy and I had a child, or actually one of our best friends had a kid, and, and as a lot of families do, they'll send out an email about, hey, here's uh, you know, Jerome Judson Bentley was born uh, October 4th. He weighs four pounds, five ounces, all right? And our friend sent us a picture of their new son. And in the picture that was attached, you open it up, you click, and it was a picture of a dog, okay? Wrapped up in baby swaddles, okay? Uh, in reality, when you and I have a kid, the reason why that's so freaky and weird is because it's assumed that when you and I have a child, it shares the same nature that you and I have, Right? When God describes Jesus Christ as his son, that which the father is trying to communicate is not that the father birthed the son, but that the father shares the same nature with the son. Jesus Christ, even though he took on the form of human nature, he shares the same nature with God the father. Therefore, he is the God-man. And because of that, because in verse 3, the writer will say even further, therefore, that Jesus Christ is the radiance of God the father's glory, and he's the exact representation of his nature. That, that Jesus Christ is the perfect, the clearest, the most exact image you and I could have of who God is and what God is like. If you want to know God this semester, the beginning place and the ending place for that is Jesus Christ. He is the perfect representation of who God is and how God is moving and what God desires in human history. And in light of that, because of that great picture, because of that clear representation, there's no clearer communication of who God is. And so when God speaks through His Son, Jesus Christ, it's the clearest communication, the clearest representation he could have of all that he would want to say. And so he doesn't need prophets. He doesn't need uh, nature to communicate because in Jesus Christ, we get the clearest picture you and I could imagine. Even more so, though, we find in this section, John will say, the uh, uh, gospel writer John will say, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. John is trying to say that you and I cannot see God the Father, but you and I can see and have record of Jesus Christ. And therefore, Jesus Christ is a perfect representation and a perfect explanation of God. You want to know God this semester, it starts and it ends with Jesus Christ. But it's not just because he's the son in a perfect image. The writer of Hebrews will continue to stack up this resume and he'll say that in relation to the world, Jesus Christ represents the world's past, its present, and its future. Look with me back in verse 2. Notice the writer says, In these last days he's spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Jesus Christ is the world's creator, and he is also the world's future heir. Jesus Christ is the world's past, and it's the world's future. Christ was present along with the Father in bringing about the creation of all things. There was never a day that Jesus Christ did not exist. He's existed for all of eternity and he was present in an eternity past and he was creating and was active and involved in bringing about the creation of all things. The writer of Hebrews will say that not only is he present in the past, but he will be present in the future when all things are brought back in subjection to him. 
But it's not just that he's present in the past and it's not just that he's present in the future, but the writer of Hebrews will say that he's also present right now, actively involved with all that he's already created. Look again in verse 3. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. Notice what the writer of Hebrews is saying about Jesus Christ. When I was in college, a lot of the views I heard of God were this, that God had created the world maybe. And if he maybe created the world, it was a lot like a watchmaker who created something intricate, a design, wound it up and walked away. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that not only did God create, but he did not walk away. He's actively involved, and if he did walk away, this entire thing would begin to unravel and pull apart. And so Jesus Christ was active and present in creation in the beginning. He's present right now, holding it all together. And one day in the future, he will reign over all things that he's created again. Every tongue and every knee will bow. And so if you want to know what your future is like, it's headed toward a climax in human history when every knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it's not just that his resume starts and stops with his relationship to the world. In fact, one of my favorite verses it comes in Colossians chapter 1. Paul will say this uh, in very similar language to the writer of Hebrews. For by Christ all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Jesus was present in eternity past. He'll be present in eternity future. And he's present right now in the midst of the very creation that he's brought about. And he's holding it all together. In fact, the book of Colossians, I think, gives one of the greatest imageries and one of the greatest verbal portraits of who Jesus Christ is. In fact, if you're here this morning for the first time, we do small groups even here at Southwood. And this semester, we're going to be studying the very book of Colossians that I just quoted from. I think the book of Colossians, frankly, is probably one of my most favorite books of the Bible. Its picture of Jesus Christ is one of the most beautiful pictures I think we find. And the depth of which Paul will write is awesome. So I'd love to encourage you guys, y'all are attending here this morning, if you guys feel like, uh, as the Lord leads you guys this semester, if this is where you'd like to be, I'd love to encourage you guys to consider also kind of getting plugged in, jumping into a small group. It'd be a great place to continue to grow in your faith and also a great place to get connected with some other believers who are trying to walk with the Lord and trying to know the Lord. If you've never been in a Bible study before, I'd also encourage you to let you know about our Essentials Bible study. We offer both Colossians and Essentials right here on Tuesday night, 6.30 to 8.30. You have a little sign-up form on your chair, but I kind of want to give you a little, little preview of those two books. Colossians is going to be dynamite and fantastic. Essentials, even if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, it's a great spot to ground your faith. And it's also a great spot to, to deepen and, and, and to prove that you know, that you can prove from your Bible, hey, who is Jesus Christ? How would I communicate about his person? How would I communicate about his activity? And it walks you through the real core beliefs of Christianity, and it's a dynamite study. If you guys are considering maybe getting plugged in, I encourage you, those are two great spots to jump in this semester with us. But ultimately, the writer of Hebrews will end in verse 3, and I'll stack on one more designation to Jesus Christ's resume. Here is one more reason why when Jesus Christ speaks, we ought to listen. He's not just God's son and perfect image, He's not just the world's creator, present sustainer, and future heir, but he's also our priest. Notice in verse 3, when Christ made purifications of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Who is Jesus Christ? What has he done? He's God's son. He's the perfect image of God. He's the creator of the world. He's the present sustainer of the world, and he's the future heir of the world. But it doesn't stop there because he's also our priest. He's the one who stands in the gap between God and humanity. In fact, as him who is in the nature of God, but also took upon human nature, he is the God-man. He stands in the gap because he can represent and relate to both. In fact, not only does he stand in the gap, but the writer of Hebrews will say that he made purification for sins because he took away that which had separated us from God. The, The writers of the Bible are clear that you and I stand separate from God. There's nothing we can do in and of our own selves 
to fix our problems in life. Ultimately, those problems go back to a nature that's hostile to God that always fails to listen and always wants to go our own way. And what the writer of Hebrews will say is that Christ took upon our punishment and He purified our sins. And the way that He did that is that He took upon human flesh and then He died on our behalf. The Scriptures will say that all the sins of the world, all the sins of humanity were poured out on Him and He was our substitute and our perfect substitute. Writer of Peter will say that it was with blood unblemished that he, that he died and took away our sin. And that when his blood was spilt on a cross at Calvary, he once and for all dealt with the problem of humanity's sin. And he once and for all provided a means to access to God yet again. If you want to know God this morning, if you want to have a relationship with God, I'll tell you the place that begins and the place that ends again is with Jesus Christ. He removed our sin. He stood in the gap and he acts as our substitute so that we can approach God that we can know God. And apart from Jesus Christ, we will spend all eternity apart from God, not in a relationship with Him, because Jesus Christ is the only one that can take and remove that penalty of our sin and remove us and bring us back into a relationship with Him. And for some of y'all here this morning, I want to challenge you that the place that you begin maybe isn't in a Bible study, but the place that some of y'all need to begin is understanding who is Jesus Christ and what has He done. Because he is the beginning and he is the end and he is the place that we all start. Because it is at the foot of Calvary where Jesus Christ died on our behalf that we can know God and that we can enter into a relationship with him. In fact, what we're going to find is that Christ did only what he could do and no one else could do on our behalf. Because as this passage ends in verse 4, we're going to find that Jesus Christ has no rivals. Look with me in verse 4. Having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. The first place the writer of Hebrews goes uh, this morning and in this book is he's going to stack Jesus Christ against the angels. And we'll talk a couple of weeks from now about why he does that and why Jews might have thought that they needed that kind of comparison. But ultimately what he does is he puts Jesus Christ up against the angels and he says, Jesus trumps them. Jesus trumps them in their ability to communicate the purpose, the plan, and the character of God. Jesus Christ is the best means we have to find knowledge of who God is and what God is doing and how God is moving in our world and what God wants for our lives. In fact, this morning, as you guys are here this morning, some of y'all for the first time, uh, I'll tell you my prayer and my hope has been uh, the week leading up to this morning is that not that you guys would think I'm a great preacher, uh, not that you guys would even think that our church is a phenomenal church. Um, My hope for you guys, uh, even if you're here next week or not, is that you guys would find a place and that you guys would be absolutely captivated by the person and the beauty of Jesus Christ. My, my hope this morning is even as we start and as we walk through this book, I think one of the reasons we wanted to land here is because this book, week after week, as we walk through the book of Hebrews, is going to put one system, one person, one thing after another up against Jesus Christ and show over and over again that Jesus Christ wins. Jesus Christ has no rivals. He has no equals. He has none that can stand alongside of him. He is the perfect example for us to know, to receive knowledge of God. He's the only means that we can have access to God. And he's the only one that transforms and restores our lives. It begins and it ends with Jesus Christ. In fact, in many regards, I think my fear and my hope for you guys and where we started this morning is my hope is that you guys will not only hear Christ this morning, but you'll continue to listen to him over the course of the next week, the next month, and the next semester. My question for you guys this morning is if Jesus Christ is speaking, will you listen this semester? If Jesus Christ has spoken, will you listen? The reality for us is the fall begins with all the new things that get going and all the new syllabi that hit you guys this week is that it's going to be easy to get overwhelmed. 
It's going to be easy to get immersed in all the information you get in marketing classes, engineering classes, philosophy classes, psychology classes, chemistry classes. And all, as your blood pressure begins to rise, let me just say in the midst of all of that, what I want to ask you is, will you continue to listen to Jesus? Or will you in that hurriness and in the midst of expectations and hopes you have this semester, will you begin to uh, not only maybe continue to listen, but begin to pass him by? Will you reach a point in your semester that you aren't listening to him at all anymore? My hope and my prayer this semester for you guys is that you would continue to listen to him and that you would not buy, would not walk by, would not miss his beauty, the simplicity of devotion to him, and, and a, a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment at his feet that's found nowhere else. One of the uh, most interesting stories I ran across this uh, summer was of a, a social experiment that was done by the New York, or the Washington, D.C. Post. Um, they it had a musician that began to play a, a series of six different Bach pieces uh, down in a metro station on a cold morning in January of 2007. He began to play for about 45 minutes, and over those 45 minutes, 2,000 people went through that metro station. As those people went through, he continued to play, and over the course of 45 minutes, he would play six of the most intricate Bach pieces with a violin that you could imagine. And what was really interesting in the social experiment as he went through and as he walked through is that uh, as people walked by, what we noticed and what the social experiment, uh, those that were researching it noticed that in the first few minutes, they had one person stop and listen, and then they walked by. A few minutes later, they had a, a, an individual, a middle-aged man, who stopped, listened, and put a dollar in uh, the dude's violin case. About five minutes later, a young daughter stops, wants to listen, but her mom hurriedly pulls her along and they continue to walk past, as did every other child and parent, because at that time of day as they were heading off to work, there were more pressing things than to sit and to listen to a beautiful instrument being played. In fact, about 10 minutes later, what would end up happening is that uh, over the course of the next 45 minutes as this individual played, about uh, six different people stopped and listened. 2,000 people walked by, but six people stopped and listened. Over the course of that hour, about $32 were donated to this musician. But what no one knew in that subway, in that metro station, as those 2,000 people walked by, was that who was playing was a violinist named Joshua Bell, who was one of the most famous violinists in the world. In fact, he was playing six of the most intricate Bach pieces imaginable at that day and time. And what was even more interesting was he was playing on a violin that was worth $3.5 million. And he got $32 as he played. And what those 2,000 people also did not know is that just a couple nights earlier, he had, he had played for a sold-out amphitheater in Boston for $100, uh, $100 uh, a seat tickets, all right? And he sold it out. But what the social experiment was trying to determine was that in an uncommon or in a commonplace and an inappropriate hour, do you and I perceive beauty? And do we stop to appreciate it and to listen? As those people walked by, they all, at that time and in that place, chose not to listen, and they kept on rolling and kept on passing by. The reality for you and I that are here this morning uh, on August 29th at Southwood at 11 o'clock is that this is an appropriate time for worship. This is an uncommon place in the midst of our days. This is a place that for the majority of us, we spend one hour a week, and we come here only at that time, and it's a time that we have marked as a time to worship. But what I want to ask us this semester, what I want to ask us this morning is at the other hours of the day and the other hours of our semester, those hours that are, in a sense, inappropriate for worship, will we continue to hear and listen and appreciate the beauty of Jesus Christ? As those people walked past that violinist, they did not. And my fear, my, my prayer for you guys this semester, as we walk through this semester, in the midst of all the classes and all the organizations and all the friends that will vie for your attention, vie for your ear, vie for your mindset, 
I want to ask you, will you continue to listen and will you continue to appreciate the beauty of Jesus Christ at an hour and at a time that sometimes isn't what we mark as worship? This isn't meant to be a place that we just come once a week and fill up, but this is meant to be a time that we recenter and continue a, a worship lifestyle in our lives. And if Christ is speaking, the question I have again for, this, for you this morning is, will you listen? Or will you begin at some point this semester walk, to walk past him and to walk by him? And if the catastrophic results of not listening to a professor in my senior year history class were that someone got red ink on their neck, I will tell you the catastrophic results are even greater if we fail to listen to Jesus Christ. You guys are going to make decisions this week as to whether you're going to listen to your professors, but the results of that decision really aren't that big. Some of you guys can choose to listen in A-plus tutoring. Some of you guys can choose to listen on your own as you research and you study your books. But I will tell you, if you choose to not listen or if you fail to listen to Jesus Christ, the results will be catastrophic and they will be life-changing. Because Jesus Christ is our only means to knowledge of God. He's He's our only means to access to God. and He's our only means to be transformed into the image of God. He's our only source for joy and for satisfaction. And so all of life begins and it ends with Jesus. And so what I want to do this, this morning as we end, Tyler's going to come up, um, back up, and he's going to play. And we're going to end this morning in worship because I want us to have an opportunity this morning as we end in worship to proclaim him who is supreme and who is sufficient. We're going to have an opportunity this morning to end in worship uh, proclaiming him whose excellencies are unmatched, who has no rivals. And I want it to be an opportunity for us to come back into the presence of the Lord and proclaim that which uh, my prayer would be we would believe in our hearts. And as we do that this morning, I'm also going to let you guys know about something we're going, to do, we're going to do different this semester than we've never done before. At the end of our services each morning, we're going to have a guy and a girl back up front here. Uh, they're going to be here just to be able to pray with you, uh, to be able to talk with you. Of course, I'm always here, but we want to give you guys an opportunity. If you feel the need to pray even this morning, uh, to come up to the stage, you can kneel here as Tyler plays. Uh, if you feel the need to talk with someone, we want to have some people here for you. And so uh, a couple of people are going to come on up and they're going to be here just to talk with you along with myself. We want this to be a place where you feel comfortable to worship however that is. If you want to kneel, if you want to stand, if you want to raise your hands, if you want to uh, just put your hands in your pocket, however you want to respond and worship, we want you to feel comfortable. And so as those two people come on up, we just want this to be a place that you can respond to the Lord with whatever he has for you this morning. not only redeemed us through your son but you have restored us through him as well thank you that in his death we have a forgiveness of sins but i thank you that in his resurrection we have hope purpose and transformation father i pray this semester that as we would walk with you lord i pray that you would draw us nearer to you that you would remove lesser loves that you would remove lesser distractions and that you would center us around you that you would restore to us the simplicity of devotion to you and that you give us a raging passion to know you and to make you known and i pray that you would do things in our lives a semester that would blow us away. Might you be our center, might you be our calling, might you be our hope. And Father, we ask for these things this morning, through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. You guys, thanks for coming this morning, and we'll see you guys next week. Have a great first week of classes.